Hey, welcome to the Black Knight Nation podcast. I'm your host, Sal Interdonado. The Black Knight Nation podcast is brought to you by Higher Echelon, company run by Joe Ross, former Army fullback, former Army assistant coach, former Army officer. We thank Higher Echelon for sponsoring this podcast. This is going to be our 2022 season review um, of of Army's, uh, the Black Knight season. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the future, too. And we're here with um, Connor Crean of Zero Block 30, Zero 30 Blog Up. Connor, I mess it up all the time, man. I, I apologize, dude. You got it right. Um, you said it right the first James time. From, it's all good. Uh, oh, man. Uh, James from Ask for Football, and we got Brendan in Jersey, a regular contributor to the Black Knight Nation podcast. Guys, thanks for joining us tonight. Kind of uh, had to change uh, the time a little bit, but it's always good to talk Army football with guys who uh, really uh, follow the program as good as, good as you guys do. Um, normally on the season review, we do – we do a top 10. I would do a top 10 players of the, of the year. We're going to go away from that. And I did some Black Knight Nation awards. Um, I, honestly, I messed up the poll. The poll is going to end. I thought the poll was going to end tonight. Uh, the polls are going to end tomorrow. But we'll talk about it. And uh, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking of usually we have a game of the year, right, as one of the awards. And um, this year, there seems to be a pretty obvious choice of what the game of the year was, right, um, for me at least. And – for most Army fans, it's probably that Navy game. And I just wanted to get maybe go around the horn here and get your thoughts, A, on the season for our Army and what that win over Navy might have meant to the program. Uh, maybe start with Connor. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought my game of the year was actually the Coastal Carolina game because I loved suffering through that broadcast, and it was really enjoyable start to finish. Great way to have <laughs> Labor Day weekend and kick off the season in excruciating fashion. No, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think – it's hard to argue against the, the Navy game. Um, but, you know, I think now that the everything is shook out, um, pretty pretty telling um, when we, we see how the, the, the season ended in terms of where our coaching staff ended up, um, in terms of how the, uh, the Navy game ended up. Um, so, you know, although obviously I, I, I love the end result of that game, I am uh, – part of me is a little upset to, to lose, uh, you know, a coach, and I'm sure we'll get into that in the, in the um, later in the show, uh, but excited for the future. And overall, you know, given the way the, the, the season played out, to finish 6-6, six and six, last few games wins, convincing wins in a lot of fashion, uh, it was certainly – I think the best anybody could have hoped for. So I was happy with the way that the season ended and certainly with the game of the year being the Navy game. How are you, James? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously anytime you beat Navy, it's the biggest game of the year. doesn't matter what the bowl is, um, who else you play, that kind of thing. It's, it's beat Navy. It's, it's the, the number one goal every year. So um, that's the game of the year. Um I'm sure we'll get into the coaching changes and all that later. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I watched the, or I didn't watch any of the game live. I watched it later that night. I was flying that day and I had another, um, another West Point grad on the flight with me. Uh, so we were getting updates from air traffic control, uh, which was an interesting way to, to keep up on the game, but there were also Naval Academy grads on the flight. So we had a lot of time going back and forth, ripping each other. Um, so it was an interesting uh, experience for me this year, but getting back, knowing the final result, it was a lot easier for me to watch. Um, and, and so uh, very different experience for me. 
I, w- I really appreciate it, I will say, in the Navy game how they didn't do the same thing as the Air Force game. Um, they at least tried something different, right? They Air Force game, they are running, you know, QB powers and, and uh, QB draws all game long. I think they ran 17 QB draws that game, um, and it just got, you know, uh, super painful to watch. Um, for the Navy game, and, and credit Navy's coaching staff, they did the same thing, right? Came out in, uh, in a five-yard snap. Um, trying some different looks didn't ultimately, you know, work. There were, I don't know, six, seven plays from, from the shotgun that were a small mistake away from breaking for 15, 20 yards. And, and you give a team more than two weeks to practice an offense, you know, maybe, maybe that looks a lot better. So, um, so I don't know. I, I appreciated them trying something new rather than just running, you know, QB power, QB powers for three quarters and then taking risks in the fourth quarter to try to, to try to win it. Um, so, so that was good as well. Uh, I think that was an improvement for CIC game play calling. Can I just jump in very quickly and touch on something that James said? The sentiment yep. of, well, you know, we could lose every game, and if we beat Navy, it's still a good season. I'd like to think we're past that as a program, and we don't just have to hang our hat on that anymore. Because I think overall, mostly we were disappointed with 6-6. Six and six. Um. Yeah, Joe Cap. I don't. I obviously I want to beat Navy every year. But are you going to tell me last year where we went nine and four and and beat Missouri in a in a close bowl game, but lost to Navy? That's a bad year. So I don't know that I want to subscribe to that anymore. I'm not saying it's wrong if people get excited as long as we beat Navy, regardless of how the other games shake out. But I'm of the belief now that. I want to win every game. I want a 10-plus win season. I want a top 25 finish. I, my aspirations are a lot higher than just like, oh, well, we, we beat Navy. I think we're beyond that as a program, personally. So, so I, got a, I have a question because I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, would you rather, next season, if you could pick right now, would you rather be 11-1 and go to a bowl game and win it, be 12-1 and and have lost to Navy, or would you rather finish the season one and eleven, having kicked Navy's ass? Oh my God! I think we have to go. Listen, twelve and one, because you have to look at this beyond. Uh, I don't know. Listen, See, that, that's where we disagree. I think. No, 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 no. Because I, I'm looking at it bigger picture now in terms of recruiting and you know uh, the future. I don't think that's good for our program. To, to revert oh, all the way back c- to certainly, one c- certainly not year over year, and and uh, I think you're right that going one and eleven, even if it means beating Navy, doesn't help us in future years beating Navy. But in a one in a one year um, sort of in a one year vacuum, like I, I guess the disagreement is that one game means more to me than every other game combined. Uh, although you are correct, and I will agree with you in saying that the that our aspirations are higher. Like I, yeah. I am a little disappointed this season. I'll, I'll admit that I thought we were going to do better than we did. And, the, and, and that's, and, and that's fair, but Navy, Navy, the, the Navy win was a season saving win. It turned a vastly disappointing season. If we lose to Navy into, you know what? We, we accomplished the goal at the end of the, the number one goal at the end of the season, moving into next year. That's a great thing to, to hang our hat on. And, and it's a, it is a good season. It's not a great season. It is a good season. So, so um, I'll agree with you that that our aspirations should be higher. But I think I think for me that one game, it's just 
Uh, I get I get the recruiting and the bigger picture and that sort of thing, but that one game is worth more to me than the other eleven combined, and it's I'll, not close. I'll tell you what, and then uh, you know we can throw it to Brendan to get his thoughts. But if we flash back to the two thousand three season, my sophomore year when we lost every game, had we beaten Navy, then I might agree with you that. <laughs> But, but otherwise, I don't know. It's a little harder of a conversation these days, thankfully. So, sorry. With that, I'll throw it to you, Brandon. Uh, yeah, so just to throw one more one more wrench into what you're talking about, uh, not necessarily uh, uh, like picking a, a side between you, but to me, the um, kind of the ultimate litmus test of like what matters as an Army fan was the 2012 season because if they had – and they, you know, I mean, we remember they were yards away from beating Navy and taking home the CIC and they would have been three and nine that year. And I think like that, like that would still be a team that like we, we would talk about kind of like in the annals of history, but anyway, um, yeah, obviously, obviously the, this, this season uh, Navy was the game of the year. Although I will offer two like kind of also rands, I guess uh, one I would say is the, uh, Louisiana Monroe game, just because to me, that was where the defense turned it around. I mean, if you look at the box score, it's like, it says 24 points, but if I recall correctly, one of those touchdowns came in garbage time and at least two of those scores came on a short field. So that's sort of like, you can see the defense like really starting to turn it around there. And then the UConn game where they had multiple goal line stands and a punt block like that really, that really kind of sets the template for how they, uh, how they win the Navy game, but just in terms of kind of like the, the long view of, of where the program is, I, I, I wrote a long multi-part piece, uh, I think a couple of years ago now, uh, trying to put into perspective, like the, the top 10, top 10 army teams of the past 50 years to that point. Right. And if I was going to redo that article now, Munkin would have four in the top 10, and six in the top 15 best seasons of the past 50 years. So just like, I just, I just want to make it clear because like, yes, like I am, I am critical. Yes, I do poke at things, but like, I do, I do also appreciate in the big picture that it's like, we are living in the good days. And this year was a step back, but ultimately because they beat Navy at the end, it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of awful step back that, that 2019 uh, felt. Yeah. To, here's to that point, I would say why to me it didn't feel like a step back because a handful of these games, like two or three, you know, Georgia State, UTSA, Troy, I mean, those are kind of coin flip games. If we had gotten, if our six losses were like six blowouts, I might say like, yeah, ooh, that was tough. But all six of those games, with the exception of Wake Forest, we were in all of those games and you know, the three I mentioned really kind of a couple plays go differently. So obviously, especially Troy, you know, you know, a couple yards difference and our, our records much different. And it was just one of those years where in years past, we've gotten those plays that could go either way and we just didn't get them this year. So it didn't feel like as much of a regression um, that it, it might feel like the, the 2019 season felt. And, and the other thing I think I'll add on that is in 2019, like it almost felt like we were searching for reasons why, right? Like, yeah, there were a couple of key, you know, pieces that graduated, but it wasn't like the quarterback had no experience. It wasn't like, you know, people were, we were sort of asking at the end of the season, like what happened, you know, 
why did why did we go from um, you know the best season in recent history to um, to this this team that can't seem to, to scrape a couple of wins together? Um, and and this season it's like okay, well you know other than Markel Broughton, you know call it five of your top six uh, or four of your top five um, you know defenders are graduated. Okay, uh, you had two offensive starting offensive linemen graduate. Okay. That, that's a little more normal. Um, you had Robinson go down halfway through the season. You had Buchanan, who clearly was not, uh, a, you know, uh, a, all himself this year, clearly was battling some injuries, and so were the other fullbacks. You had a bunch of uh, assistant coaches that got snagged late in the carousel, so they got replaced with late replacements, and you, um, you know, you didn't have the most um, – you didn't have the best offensive line in the last five years by, by any measure. Um, so you have all of these things that were, and, and you have changes to the cut block rules, all sorts of things that are working against you. Um, and, and the fact that you go six and six, I think with a few games that were a player to, a, you know, a side of being wins. I mean, I think the Georgia state game was one play away from being a win. I think UTSA was one, maybe two plays away from being a win. And Troy UTSA, was one, they one had play like Three touchdown lead in the, in the fourth right. quarter. I mean, you're you're one, yeah, one play away. So, so you're talking about three plays, and all of a sudden now we're we're nine and three going into a bowl game, and you're talking about this as a great. So, so the fact that they're able to do that, where where it comes down to three, you know, base three plays throughout the season, I think it's quite impressive, in spite of everything they had to overcome. Whereas in 2019, it was more of a a soul searching, like, hey, yeah. what happened? Um, this is not that. No, it's like you just laid out mm-hmm. all the reasons why it's very clear. Um, and I think for those reasons as well, it makes it easier to stomach because you can point to the things you just list listed out. You're like, all right, that makes sense. It makes sense why we lost those games. It stinks, but it makes sense at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. M- making sense is, is, you know, half of stomaching a loss, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that um, as far as ex- – I don't like making excuses, right? And why? I mean, they were close in games, right? They just could, they just couldn't make the plays. They, they, they didn't win the fourth quarters in a lot of the games this season. And you know, having Sandy McCoy on the podcast last week, he talked about that 2019 team a little bit and about the leadership. Well, this year, I think the leadership was pretty strong because things weren't going Army's way during the season, right? And for guys like Marquell Broughton and um. Connor Bishop to keep this team together and to win the, your last three games, regardless of like, yeah, UConn was a pretty good team. UMass wasn't, but uh, they, they ended the season on a three game winning streak when they were really in a, they were, they were shuffling their pretty big hole for themselves. Right. So, I mean, I, I give the leadership of this team a lot of credit this year, you know, and um, even the seniors like a tire Tyler, he's not a captain, but man, you see him talk to the team after they beat Navy. He's definitely a leader on the team, and he's going to be. He's it, you know. He just um. He's a second lieutenant now, and he's going to be leading, leading um troops out there. Um, man, he they had some real tough guys, some real good leaders on this team. I think too this year. I mean, can you could you imagine having having T two or Markel Broughton as your as a platoon leader in your company? Yeah, like I mean that's that's like don't, what don't you, have to worry about that platoon like no that's like you, you you if you you know drew up what a leader should be in the army for a platoon those guys are it right there you know and i've i've served and you know james i'm sure you've seen now too like 
there's a lot of guys out there that, that can't cut it. A lot of guys who can, and I think you you know right away which is which. I, I I've never you know shared a locker room with either of those guys. You know I only know them peripherally, but I can tell you right now I jump in a foxhole with either one of those guys. A lot of a lot of guys on this team, but those guys you, you mentioned especially. Yeah, was I mean that's what I do. I mean yeah, it didn't go their way, but just to. It really showed because you, know, you look at Coach Munkin and the way he tried to describe it when they were in all tried to describe each each game as a boxing round and they bought this team bought in and those get like that Troy team was really good. I mean that Troy team beat a lot of teams this year and Army arguably probably should have won that game and you know it's just like this was a team that I think I'll remember the most for its fight and more than anything else because guys you know when you talk about plays of the year right they're not really I. I it was easy for me to come up with four, but more than four, it wasn't really. I I, I came up with the Ty, Tyro Robinson punt return touchdown against Villanova, Isaiah Austin one-handed catch against UMass, and the two big plays against Navy: Noah Short's block and Jabril Williams's recovery for a touchdown, and then the the, the goal line stand in uh, double overtime. Um, I was trying to come up with some offensive plays. I I, I none of them really strike me too much, and um. You know, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel right now. I believe the uh, goal line stand is leading our poll pretty, uh, pretty favorably, about fifty-six percent. Uh, maybe we can go uh, around the horn and what you thought, you know, the play of the year was for the Black Knights, and maybe some other nominees, so to speak, that I might have missed. So, Sal, I think you mentioned certainly a couple that are highlight type plays. Um, you know. The, the catch by Isaiah and the punt return uh, by um, Tyrell. Those didn't really make a difference in the game. They were absolutely unreal plays. Um, but as yeah. far as like being a difference in the game, neither was, but that doesn't take anything away. They were both unbelievably, incredibly athletic plays. Uh, and I give those guys so much credit. I think, you know, part of what made Tyrell's play so special is we haven't had a punt return for a TD since my boy Jay Trim did it in 08. So, you know, it's, it's nice to see that we could still take one to the house uh, after that long of a drought. Um, and then, you know, certainly the Navy plays, but I think one play that, and I, maybe I mentioned it when I talked to you guys, James, on, on your show uh, that I think bears mentioning is the, the fourth down in the Navy game when we were deep in our own territory and decided to go for it because we don't get that, and we give Navy that short field. I don't know that we win that game, and I, I think that gave our team and those players the confidence to say, all right, we got this, and for Coach to believe in his players enough to see how the game was going at that point and still say, like, no, we're going to get this yard, which wasn't as automatic this year as it's been for us in years past for whatever reason. Yeah. So to do that in that big of a game, in that scenario where the other side of the coin is disastrous, I think that is a nominee for play of the year. You know, I'll, uh, I will add to that. The, the going forward on fourth and one, uh, I got it here. So it's on their own. Uh, oh, where is it? Here we go. It's on their own 15. On fourth and one. I mean, I mean that's, an, that's crazy. That's absurd. Right? right? But in, in a game where the entire offense of the entire game 
was one 77 yard run by, by Navy's fullback. Right. That, that was the only, everything else was a field position, you know, pitting that turned into field goals and then a block punt touchdown. Like that was, that was everything. There was one offensive play that mattered <laughs> in actuality. Right. Um, and then besides that one offensive play, the second most important offensive play, even more than the overtime touchdowns, I'd argue, was that fourth and one. And honestly, that, that drive ended in a punt, and Army's next drive ended in a punt. But what it did was it set up the field position so that Army could tie the game at the end of regulation and kick the field goal. Like, that, that was the difference maker. Going forward on fourth and one meant that three drives later, you could tie the game to go into overtime. And, and that was the difference in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, so, so that's really important. Um, I, I think the, the problem with offensive plays generally is they're either a, a play of the year because it meant something or um, because of, there was a spectacular performance, but there's, um, there, there's rarely a, a combination like Isaiah Allison's, you know, grab, right. That it was an incredible snatch. And as you said, it, it didn't mean a whole lot in that game, um, but it was, it was an incredible uh, uh, um catch the, the problem is is it's such a a robust system so i mean think about the amount of plays that we had we had one against coastal carolina i think we had a one or two against utsa like how many 70 plus yard plays did we have this year that we just forget yeah. about because yeah. oh it was the third drive of the game and they had stuffed us but then david mike david or uh, brent davis saw something and ran a different play and all of a sudden a fullback goes for 70 yards or you know, uh, Tyrell Robinson in the beginning of the year or, or Adrian Marshall later in the year goes for 70 plus and and just, you know, and scores a touchdown super fast that we just forget about because it's part of the system. And we've sort of accepted that. So that, that those plays are there and they're certainly impressive, but they don't get talked about a lot because it's sort of part of this really robust system, offensive system that we run. Mm hmm. Yeah, the uh, the play I was going to throw in, and it's and it's kind of another empty calorie touchdown. But um, uh, Tyson Riley's seventy yard run against Villanova, like I just like probably not since Aaron Alexander have I seen an athlete for Army looking like that running down the field. Like it was just like that was just an incredible thing to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and that's I mean, something I, I, I think was gonna we're going to miss that going forward. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know, we, we might have some more speedsters that we just, you know, haven't seen yet because they have, haven't gotten a lot of touches. But um, and I'm actually going to mention a senior, but a great example, Brendan, of that was against UConn with Brian Murphy's touchdown, where he just took that little simple end around and just seemingly outran the defense, which was extremely athletic and impressive. Um, and uh, Sal, are we going to do uh, I don't know if there's defensive plays, but. Like if we could just bottle up all of Markel Broughton's massive hits throughout the season and just count that as one most five impressive picks. play. Five picks. Yeah. That kid I mean, the man and, played twelve games. He had five interceptions. Yeah, that's unbelievable. That kid was a heck of a player. He will be sorely missed. His leadership will be sorely missed. The army or maybe somebody on Sundays is gonna get, you know, a really, really special young man. Um you know, and you listen to him speak in interviews. He carries himself so well, uh, you know, clearly is, is raised very well. Um, I, I can't say enough good things uh, about him and how much we're going to miss him. But, uh, you know, it just seemed like every game he was just laying the wood on somebody to the point that made you go, ooh. So, 
Yeah, no doubt. I was um I'm waiting for this shrine game graphic for him to come be. I don't know why he's not invited invite to a senior uh, all-star game this year. I, maybe he I don't know if he wants to play or not. The, Mark Marquel Broughton should be at a senior uh bowl um representing Army and get a shot. Um no doubt. I'm talking to him on the phone after the Army Navy the day after the game and just getting a perspective from him about kind of what he was thinking. You know, when he's up on the railing there, Natch Munkin after the game and just just what he what the team meant to him, what he meant to the team. I mean, God, you're right. And some of those interceptions, some of those hits. Um, and you know what? I think he rubbed off on a lot of the defensive players this year. Like a guy like uh, Q Hammonds laid some pretty big hits too. His, his fellow safety was laying some pretty big hits too. I think he rubbed off on the secondary a little bit too, um, his intensity. It was good to see. Um Next award that we had is the um, Offensive Player of the Year, and it's kind of a runaway with Tyre Tyler. And I had, um, you know, Tyson Riley up there as a candidate, and I had also, um, I had also Josh Lingenfelter too. I had him involved in in, in the polling too. So um, I guess my pick would probably be Tyre Tyler. Um, maybe go around the board. And Connor, you want to you want to bring somebody up? So why don't you go ahead right ahead? Yeah, I I love Tyre Tyler again. Another kid tough as nails and zero quit in him certainly has the stats to warrant being offensive player of the year, but here's my offensive player of the year and it's Jamel Jones. And here's why without Jamel Jones, we don't win six games because when the other guys were hurt and Jamel filled in, he more than filled in and maybe I have a soft spot in my heart as, as a fellow backup, that this kid, you know, as a senior, came to work every day, knew his, knew his plays, was still a leader in that locker room and on that field despite not being the starter. That's hard every day to, to go and to practice and to give it all you have when you don't know if you're going to touch the field and you still have to prepare each week like you're going to be the guy. Certainly, you know, later in the season he had, you know – um, a couple starts there, maybe just one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But for him to come in and play the way that he did and allowed the offense really not to miss a beat from the quarterback position, for me, that makes him, um, you know, the offensive player of the year. Um, and, again, I just think it speaks to his character as a person. And I think that's that's bigger than any, uh, you know, football position. Uh, to, to, to be just that, that type of person to have that work ethic and that pride and, and not wanting to let anybody down to prepare each week. So for me, it's Jamel Jones. How are you James? Uh, I, I don't know. So, so I gave, I don't want to say I gave him a hard time, but um, I sort of favored Jamel Jones over, over uh, Tyre Tyler later in the season. Um, especially when, you know, they were they had been doing the the dual quarterback thing all season with Cade Ballard and T two and then Jamel Jones came in and just performed um, and it wasn't necessarily against the same you know caliber opponents and you know he started he started breaking out against Wake Forest's third string defense so I had no reason necessarily to to favor him but he just he was producing so um, so so I sort of favored him I I will give Tyre Tyler a lot of credit and I think he's my offensive player of the year. He gets a slight edge over Jamel Jones, and and I think the reason for that is because that dude has been through so much, right? 
Think about the injuries he's had over the last – I mean, he's been our quarterback for, what, three years? Um, the injuries that he's had, the amount of morons like me who keep doubting him, like the, 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 the amount of adversity he's put up with. And, you know, when it came down to the biggest game of the year, he, he figured out enough to get it done, right? He was a leader on that offense, and they got it done, and he left Army with a win over Navy. Fantastic, right? So, so I'll give that kid a lot of credit for um for continuing to to put up with all of it injuries and and all the noise um and, and really um i i think that set himself apart uh other recent army quarterbacks have not had to do that like he has um i mean bradshaw was sort of like the guy right he was the guy who ended the streak he was the guy kelvin hopkins was just i mean scored five touchdowns against houston in the armed forces bowl he was the guy he got hurt and so he didn't play as much, but he was the guy. T2 is the first, like, two-plus-year starting quarterback we've had that's had to contend with backups being, um, being told that they might be better, um, get splitting playing time, all sorts of different things. And he's done it for three years. He put his head down, and he performed, and I give him a lot of credit for that. Speaks to his character. Yeah, Again, absolutely. He's, he's another one. Speaks to his character because a lot of guys at other programs, I think – as soon as their, their reps start getting split with another dude, they might bury their head. They might say, ah, you know, screw this coach or screw that and, and not give it their all, not him. He's like, all right, this is what the team is asking. Then that's what I'm going to do. A lot of credit to him. So if we were doing ranked choice voting, I would say T2 one, then Jones. And then I would put, um, uh, I, John Marshall, um, as, as my third pick uh it's it's not the kind of thing that you would it's not the kind of thing that's like super noticeable because you know the offense just <laughs> the offense doesn't uh hand off a lot to the um to the slot backs but i think there was a there was a lot of fear there was a lot of fear when um when robinson went down that the offense was going to take a step back. And I, I, I don't, I don't think that was necessarily, you know, uh, any particular reason why the offense was or wasn't successful. And I think Marshall did uh, a great job kind of stepping into that number one role, you know, blocking, taking pitches uh, and uh, catching passes. He, he, uh, he did everything that was asked of him. Changer. He was a game changer, no doubt. And one of my favorite players to, watching a long, long time uh, in Army football. Uh, defensive player of the year, our poll was uh, Marquel Broughton, Leo Lowen, um, Andre Carter, and Chris Frey. Um, Broughton right now is 56%, got the 478 votes so far on our Twitter account. Um, you know, there's probably a couple guys I might have left at, off this list. Maybe uh, uh, Quind- Quindraylen Hammonds is one of them, uh, just as candidates, so to speak. Jimmy Charlo is another guy who's pretty consistent all year long, um, started every game for Army on defense. I think he was the only guy on defense to start every game. Um, I would go – I would probably uh, – you got. we talked about Broughton, right? I mean, he was he was their standout, I think, on defense this year. Leo Lowen had a pretty good season too. Um, uh, maybe start – Connor, who, who's your defensive player of the year for Army? I don't know how you say it's anybody but Markel and – what I think is interesting about Markel and, you know, evident by the fact that he was picked as a, um, a, a captain as a junior. I'm, I'm trying to think in, in recent years, especially where one player, regardless of position 
was kind of the heartbeat of the team. And, and for me, that was Markel. He was really like the heartbeat where you, you needed him on the sideline regardless to kind of bring everybody up and bring everybody together. Um, so to say anybody else is defensive player of the year, I think would be shortchanging Markel. But I was very encouraged with a lot of guys where we had positions that were question marks this year, you know, specifically linebacker. And then, you know, you have Jimmy Charlo, Leo Lowen, really stepped up and established themselves, you know, maybe, um, you know, certainly midway through the year and then finished the end of the year strong to where we're like, Ooh, we got, we got some, we got some dudes coming back next year where those were question marks going into this year. So I was really encouraged by, by how they stepped up and, and Fry's another one I think is going to be poised to have a, a great year uh, next year. I will be interested to see, who steps up defensively as the captain? We might, and maybe, I don't know, maybe we don't have a, a defensive captain next year um, with Markel graduating. Maybe all our captains come from the offense. I don't know. Um, we'll see. But, you know, to give it to anybody besides Markel, as I said, I think, I don't know how he'd do that. Yeah, James, uh, same, are you saying, same thinking there? Or? Yeah, you know, one of my, not including the uh, the win against Navy, one of my favorite moments of the season was watching. I, I know Brendan earlier said Army's defense really turned it again, around against ULM, and I agree with that. The first game where I felt like that um, that turnaround came to fruition and they performed extremely well against a very good offense was against Troy, a game which Markel Broughton did not participate. But if you rewatch that game, look at Markel Broughton on the sidelines. Like, the dude was a coach. I mean, yeah. uh, it, it was incredible to watch. It was incredible to watch that defense, um, you know, rally around um, the fact that they were missing their two top tacklers. They're missing Leo alone in that game, too. And they still mm -hmm. performed incredibly. Um, and, and if you look at Markel Brown on the sideline, I mean, not only was he the captain, he was, he was the co-defensive coordinator on that team. Um, and it was really impressive to watch. So, so I think Markel in a runaway. Yeah, I mean, I, th there's really nothing more I can add to that. But uh, I will, I will say, you know, we were, it, 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 it took a while to find, but Leo Lowen really stepped up. Um, you know, with I think, I think going into the season, we didn't know who was going to be kind of like the number one guy at linebacker, and uh, and ultimately, you know, he he was the guy that emerged and did a great job, and um, yeah. He uh, he, did, he deserves some recognition, some some recognition as well, but unquestionably, it's yeah. How, <laughs> how many times have we? How many times have we said that about a linebacker? Well, we didn't know going into the season after so and so graduated, who was going to be the linebacker this year, and then all of a sudden we get a Cole Christensen or a John Radigan or you know now this yeah. year real low and like it happens every year, right? I mean, it's, we, it's, we should it's be ours. used to it by this point. It, it does, but I, I felt like this year it took a little bit longer to be like, oh, that guy's a stand-up mm -hmm. player. That's true. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and undoubtedly Big part of that was, yeah, undoubtedly part of that was like the caliber of opponents they were playing in the first two games. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to get, your, uh, to get your feet settled against that kind of competition. I mean, and, and a linebacker playing Coastal Carolina and Grayson McCall is just not going to have a great game no matter who you are. So it's just with the style of offense and the level of play. So, yeah, Sorry, really quickly. About, in that game. It's first, first yeah. yeah. Um, just thinking back to 
the other night I'm watching Troy play, uh, was it UTSA in their bowl game? Um, and they're top two, top 25 teams. And it's like, oh, that stings a little bit. Sorry. But uh, yeah, go on. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, we uh, have uh, Federica Daniels watching this um, podcast right now. That's Marquel Broughton's mom. And she said that Coach Woody allowed Marquel to call all the defense game. That's not something I knew. I knew he was involved, but I didn't know he was calling the defense that game. I mean, James right on target there with him being the coordinator, the defensive coordinator for that game. I, mean, that's I, incredible. I, I, that's, I just that's, saw him on the sidelines and figured that he was helping. I didn't realize he was helping to call the call the defense, but that's awesome to hear. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, next uh, que- uh, question, uh, poll question was unsung hero for the team this year. And I had four. And there's going to be probably more that we can come up with. I had four in the poll. Twitter only gives you four choices. Quinn Moretzky, Jimmy Charlo, Connor Finucan, and Fabrice Voin. Those were the four I have. And right now, Charlo is 58% uh, winning that that poll. Um, I think that's a pretty good um, – that would be probably my pick, Charlo, because like you said, we don't, we didn't know what was going to happen this year with that. We knew Andre Carter was coming back, but who was going to play opposite Andre Carter? Who was going to – replaced Malcolm Morrison and Jimmy Charlo was a guy who played special teams. They got in some situations last year, but I mean, to be pretty durable and out there, not only for, you know, he played the run pretty good. He played the pass pretty good and he was pretty consistent all year long. So I think that maybe I put him as an unsung. Um, somebody mentioned uh, Cole Catterbone as a candidate for this, um, this, uh, this uh, award. Uh, I agree with that too. Cause Cole Catterbone was one of the best blocking receivers receivers I've seen in the army in a while. So I, and he didn't had like one catch this year, I think. So I think Cole's a good, um, also a good candidate for that. Um, maybe Connor, you have an unsung player for army, uh, in your mind. Yeah. I mean, I think what got lost, I, I mean, I liked all those players you just named, especially Cole. I love watching our receivers block. I just love that by and large, our receivers are tougher and better blockers than any other receiver room in the country. Uh, and I'll, I'll die on that hill. Um, but I think what was lost in this year going six and six was we still had, correct me if I'm wrong, the second leading rushing offense in the country, certainly going into the Navy game. So to, to not recognize the entire offensive line as the unsung heroes, just because I don't think those, obviously Connor Bishop gets his name mentioned as a captain, uh, but I think them as a unit, needs needs to be mentioned because you know unless we're putting up gaudy rushing stats i, I think people kind of maybe tend to forget about them um so i'm gonna go with the entire offensive line nice what about you james uh i got austin hill uh defensive lineman um, good one. he before this year had a total of two tackles his entire army career um he's a junior this year comes out starts he had what 40 something tackles as a defensive lineman. Um, So, uh, I mean, the rest of the guys that were mentioned, great on some here is Jimmy Charlo. I think was number three on the team in tackles after having, you know, single, single digit tackles um, up to this point. So he's a great on some hero. Um, But for a defensive lineman to get, to get 40 plus tackles after coming off, having two tackles the rest of his career, I think is, is very impressive. Yeah, Austin, too, undersized guy, right? He's not as he's not as big as a Chris Frey or not as big he's, as a Boston. He's two fifty. Like I think he's like 240, yeah, 250. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, he was a linebacker in high school and a, a, a really a really good one too. Um, and uh, yeah, he had a. I mean, he the heart that that guy plays with too. I mean, he's getting double teamed a lot, fights off double teams, makes plays. Um, Brendan, who's your unsung uh, player for the twenty twenty two season? Uh, so I, I actually like uh, Quinn Moretzky for this, if for nothing else. In the biggest game of the season, he made every kick that he had to, including a couple of clutch field goals. So, uh, yeah, can't really say anything more about that. Gotcha. We'll go to the last one, and then we could talk a little bit about looking ahead to the 2023 season. It's uh, it's a good one. It's who do, who's going to have the biggest breakout season in 2023 for the Black Knights. Guys, candidates are Bryson Daly, who's the quarterback in waiting. Uh, Mark, Mark, Mark Kyle Johnson is a one, two. Um, also Donovan Platt and Brett Jarin is also, uh, the four I had, uh, look, my, my pick would be Mark, Mark Kyle Johnson only because I think of the scheme that they might be going to James, he's going to play a big role in that. I think that scheme is going to be built for him you look at what they did in that Navy game and how he was able to break off a few decent runs and that a uh, touchdown run in the first overtime. I'm going with Mark, Mark. Collins is the breakout player for 2023. How about you, Connor? I agree with you. I agree with you. I like the way he runs. He feels fast to me. And I know that's kind of a trite thing to say, but it, it looks like he's able to hit holes quickly, make decisions quickly, and change direction quickly. Add that all up. That in my head, for lack of a better description, he just plays fast to me. And, you know, it seemed like every time he touched the ball this year, uh, he, you know, he did something very positive with it. Uh, so I think further to your point about what I think we might see from our offense next year, it will suit his style very well. You know, he's a little bit of a departure from these, you know, big bruising fullbacks uh, that we've seen uh, in recent years, um, which is okay, I think. Uh, so I'm excited to, to see what he does with more touches. James, you have a guy to look out for in 2023? Yeah, um, it's it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'll, I guess I'll explain it as not a cop-out answer. I'm going to go with Bryson Daly. Um, I, I don't even know that he's going to be our starting quarterback next year. You know, we're bringing in an entire, you know, new system. Um, our new head coach is going to, you know, pick the best guy for the job. And if that's not Bryson Daly, it's not Bryson Daly. I think he's got a uh, – I think he's got a head start on it because he's got a lot of in-game experience. He's a, he's a you know, a really um, – uh, effective runner. Uh, but what I will say is having watched a decent amount of, of Drew Thatcher's um, uh, uh, footage and explanation of, of his, um, of his offense, I think that the most impressive part of Bryson Daly's um, offense this year was knowing when to keep the ball and when to get rid of it for a guy that saw, I don't know what 15 plays this year and, and maybe a couple last year. The, the way that he reads the option is incredible for, for a guy with that amount of, um, with that amount of experience. Um, and that's something that's going to be very important next year, whether it's Bryson Daly or someone else. I don't, I don't know who's the guy in the new system, but reading, making reads is going to be very important. You're going to have more time to do it um, with, with the new style of option, which is good, but you need a guy who, who makes that right decision not nine out of 10 times, but, you know, 95 to 99 out of 100 times. Um, and, and I think that if there's a guy I trust to do that right now, it's Bryson Daly. And what I would say about him, it feels instinctual, right? I think you can mm -hmm. watch a lot of film and you can get coached 
on how to make those decisions. But I do just think it comes down to how does your brain fire and your fast twitch muscle muscles and your gut. I've never run this offense. I've never run any sort of uh, option offense, you know, but everything I understand about it, a lot of it, you know, is the read, but gosh, it just feels to me like so much of it is just trusting your gut and, and being able to read a defender and how they might be positioned and to do all of that in a matter of split seconds, I think that's either something you have or you don't. And you can you can coach someone until they're blue in the face. Some guys are just better at it than others. And I, you know, looks like he's he's got that instinct. So hopefully um he, he can do it well. Or you know what? Maybe it might be somebody else. I don't know. I it, it, there are a lot of question marks with mm-hmm. uh, a new um offensive coordinator coming in. Uh, certainly uh, coach Worley staying at quarterbacks coach. Uh, bodes well for him um, in terms of, you know, maybe getting a, a shot, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about this new offense to, to say one way or the other. And I'll say one, one thing that's extremely important. Well, I'll say that there are things that can be improved more by coaching um, or, or that, that coaching is the more important thing. And then there are other things where instinct is the more important thing. Right. And, um, and when it comes to the decision-making, that's where instinct is, is really, really important. The stuff where coaching is important, you know, the footwork, especially in this new option, uh, you know, quarterback footwork, um, selling your fakes, all these sorts of things. That's where coaching comes into, comes into play. And I, I have a lot of trust in coach Thatcher that he's going to coach these guys up, coach these guys up well. Um, but unless you have a guy that can make those decisions and, and has that instinct like you're talking about, you're sort of starting it with a handicap. And and I have a lot of faith that, that you won't be starting with that handicap with Bryson Daly. Brendan, you got a player to watch in 2023. We'll get to the new new offensive uh, uh, hirings in a second. Yeah, well, I, I know I'm getting older because the, uh, the, the first college football game I ever went to was Army versus Louisville at Mikey Stadium in 1999. And the quarterback for Army – in that game was Joe Girino, and now his son is a <laughs> contributing player for the team. But uh, actually, uh, Cons, to your point about Marco Johnson, the uh, at at that game, uh, the uh, the fullback for Army was a guy named Michael Wallace, who was uh, a similar size and stature, and and had uh, had a lot of bursts out of the backfield. Actually, set the uh, single game uh, academy record that night. That has since been broken by. Uh, uh, or was since broken by Terry Baggett, but I I actually will kind of have a cop out answer, I, and I'll just say QB one will be the the, the breakout player uh, this year because uh, I think if not, then uh, you know we may be in a lot of trouble. Uh, whether it's Bryson Daly or somebody else, we have uh, yet to hear from. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I think um, Zach Mundell is a name that you guys probably should be. Uh... That would be probably also in the quarterback mix. He's a freshman, um, played prep school. He got to play some slot back against um, UMass, I believe. They threw him in the game at slot back against UMass for a couple snaps. So he's got a couple game reps at least. I think he, he's a guy that we're pretty high on um, coming in. And we'll see who the freshman quarterbacks might coming in might get a shot too. Um, there's a guy, Larry Robinson, at prep school. He's a guy to watch out for maybe uh, – um, coming in as a, as a true freshman. Um, 
bowl game on TV. Hey, you can't go wrong, right, Bay Knight? You got the, the podcast going on your laptop, probably, and you got the bowl game going on your TV. Pretty good, pretty good stuff. Um, Maybe we can get into now uh, the new hires. I mean, you know, kind of a little bit of a shakeup there with uh, Brent Davis, the offensive coordinator for the last nine years for Army, who also was a coordinator for Jeff Munkin um, at Georgia Southern. Um, he, he's, he's out as offensive coordinator, and you have, like we were talking about, Drew Thatcher coming in, a guy from Nebraska, Carney. He was the quarterback's coach and the offensive uh, coordinator at the D2 school there. Um, so to me, this is just my opinion, guys, just throwing it out there. I think Coach Munkin's making a, a – this is a decision that we'll, we'll see how it pans out because Drew Thatcher's never coached at the um, FBS level or the FCS level. He's never called a play at the FBS or FCS level. So, uh, I mean, taking a little bit of a risk there, in my opinion, but we'll see if they're going to a certain offense that's going to change a little bit. And um, he's kind of – he's got the guru of that. Um, I think, first off, um, you guys agree we're going to see, like, kind of a shotgun, like a pistol or an RPO type of offense? Or what do you think we're going to see from from that? Go ahead, James. It it sounds like you've done a a lot more film work uh, than anybody else thus far. Yeah, uh, so shameless uh, shameless plug. As for football is going to be doing a lot of offseason um, work on making Army fans less scared of the shotgun. Um, they call it the gun option, right? It's it's still a triple option. Um, there's still a dive. There's still a a keep, and there's still a pitch. Uh, but you're doing it from five yards back, and and part of the reason for that is it allows you to rely on skill players a little bit more and the offensive line a little bit less, which with recent recruiting changes and cup blocking rules is the direction that service academies kind of need to move um, is towards skill players and a little bit away from the O-line. Um, and then, uh, and then second, it allows you a little bit extra time to make your reads, um, which is super valuable. So, uh, you sacrifice a little bit of space and a little bit of need for talent for those things. Um, and uh, I'm super excited for it. One thing that we might miss that has sort of been a staple of the Army offense the last few years is the fullback dive, right? Like the top three rushers other than the quarterback for Nebraska Kearney last year, 175 pounds, 190 pounds, and 190 pounds, right? Even the guy going up the middle is light. Um, it's all reads. Everything is a read. It's not this, you know, there are some powers, but even a, even a, a power play is going to be a, a double option, not a QB power with, you know, he's following the fullback, which is called from the huddle. So um, everything is a read and, um, and you're going to see a lot lighter guys trying to make space, trying to get that big play, trying to make one guy miss. Um so I'm very excited for that. I will say before I, I go too far on Drew Thatcher and how I think this is a good move forward for the Army program, Brent Davis, like I know everyone's given you plenty of crap over the last however many years. Like our Army has reached new heights since Jeff Munkin got hired, and that is in no small part due to Brent Davis. So thank you for everything you've done. Um, you've taken this offense from an offense that, struggled to get a few wins a year to an offense that was proud to be a triple option and a fan base that was really proud of, of how their offense um, operated. So, um, so, so, uh, so I'll say that about Brent Davis. I just saw a comment about how we've used the gun option in the past. We have, we have used the gun option in the past. 
two things. Number one, I don't think you can effectively run a gun option when you're running it on 20 to 20 to 30% of your plays, which is how we've used it in the past. Ahmad Bradshaw maybe had a game or two where more than half of his plays were from the gun option, but he was still under center most of the time in most of his games. You can't go from under center to a shotgun back and forth. You're going to botch snaps. It's going to be horrible. We even saw that in the Navy game. I mean, well, there were two or three snaps that got botched yeah. uh, where they went to the shotgun. So you, you have to commit to one of them. Uh, the second thing is there's a difference in between running a gun to give a defense a, a different look when you're running the option and running the gun for a purpose. And I feel like in the past we've, we've, we've run the, sh- uh, the gun option because we want to give Air Force or we want to give Navy some new look. I thought, that, I, I thought that's what we did in the Navy game this year. Um, it was just a new look. Navy played us the same way, and they had just as much effectiveness you know, against us. Um, whereas now we're running the gun option because we have a reason. We have reads that we're going to make. We're going to make them earlier. We're going to train those reads through the offseason. This is not, hey, we're going to work in a, you know, uh, 10% of our plays from the gun to, uh, to try to give the defense a, a different look. We're going to train our guys to make these reads from these angles uh, which is really important. Um, so it, it, I don't see it being the same gun option of the past. I, I see it being a lot more effective than that. And, and then also, like, look, you, you take away cup blocking, you only have so many options. And, and I think – I would not be surprised, I would say, if in 10 years every traditional triple option team uh, is running the gun option of, of, some, of some variant. Yeah. So I think, you know it, – it, Part of me is going to miss like the, the big fullbacks and knowing like, all right, we'll just line up and get one, two yards as when we need them. Um, but I, I love to see that we are adapting with the game and the direction it is moving in terms of this coach never having called a play at this level. Well, at one point or another, every coach who's ever called the play hadn't called the play at this level. Right. Like I get that he hasn't coached at the FBS level, but you know what the other thing is? The, the gentleman who resurrected our program is the one who hired him. So I'm going to put my faith in coach Munkin that he knows what he's doing. And his, this hire is the correct hire. Um, and, th- and that's not blind faith either. I think, I think coach Munkin has proved uh, to us at this point that we need to give him the benefit of the doubt that he knows what he's doing. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see next year how that, that pans out. But I have, I have faith in uh, coach Munkin and then, you know, just in the other direction, I wasn't in the room when, when Coach Munkin and Coach Davis had that conversation or conversations. So all we can do is is, is speculate. Um, I'm, I'm sure Coach Munkin had his reasons. I will very much miss Coach Davis. James, you said it. Like, we went from the basement of college football to the top of many offensive categories and one of the best – you know, rushing and most respected rushing offenses in the country. That doesn't happen without Coach Davis. I don't care what anybody says. It does not happen without uh, Coach Brent Davis. And we have a, we owe him a, a, a lot uh, for, for bringing our program out of, out of the basement where it was. So I wish him um, a lot of luck and success in wherever he goes next. But by the way, r- real quick, uh, sorry, Brendan. Uh, if there's a guy who's proven he can take coaching talent from – below FBS and, and make it FBS talent. It's Jeff Munkin. Like 
I mean, pick another guy who, who does that as well. There are coordinators um, around the country who are former Army coaches that before they were Army coaches were FCS or even below. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, like Jeff Munkin had never called the play at the FBS level, and he beat Florida at Georgia Southern. So, like, <laughs> let's, let's – You, you guys are killing me. You guys are killing me, but it's just my – it's just a perspective. I probably should have put it in a different way. Uh, Brendan, go ahead. Yeah. So, well, so as, as far as, uh, as far as, uh, Bradshaw running a, a gun option back in the day, I think the big data point for that is, uh, when they won at air force 21, nothing. Um, and it was something that they, I'm guessing they worked on in the bye week and then, and just were a hundred percent committed to, I mean, I think he had like 200 yards or something like that. And Kel Walker had uh, a, a bunch of yards on that day, but, um, kind of, uh, k- kind of picking up a thread that, that, uh, Cons was talking about, like, I am definitely, <laughs> you know, like my, my, my bias seeing the success that we've had out of the flex bone, like I absolutely will miss, you know, uh, seeing the, the, uh, seeing the fullback, um, dive and, and, uh, you know, and all that and, and running things under center, which I, I think at this point we're just assuming, and it's, it's it's an informed assumption, but like I've I've watched some I've watched some videos from Coach Thatcher and uh, and actually tracked down some stuff from uh, when Drinkle was at um, Kansas Wesleyan as well. And like yeah, like they they both ran shotgun offenses, so we're assuming that they will uh, at Army as well. But uh, you know whatever they end up running, uh, to me to me what gets me really excited is I love the idea that Army is finally kind of leading the way. And and innovating offensively, I feel like um, as opposed to just reacting. Yeah, because because you because really like you know you go back like the the kind of the service academy tradition of running the the flexbone triple option goes back to uh, to to like well really the wishbone first it was the wishbone first and that was like Ken Hatfield at Air Force in the 70s, and then Jim Young did it, and then Navy did it. And so I kind of like the fact that we're jumping that we're jumping on something first that could innovate college football as a whole. Um, I, I love that idea. And certainly will help us recruit against the other two schools. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, – and I see, Bain, I see your comment there. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'll, resp- I'll respond to that in a second. So – um, first of all, when it comes to the innovation stuff, like N- Navy has been leading the way for years. They formed their NAAA, which allowed them to spend whatever they wanted on a coach. Well, we were still paying for a coach on a, on a federal contract and had contract limitations, right? That was an issue for, what, 15 years that we just didn't budge? Navy allowing their offensive linemen to beef up until graduation where they had to come down. We didn't budge on that for like t- – this is the first time that we've innovated on. And then when it came to recruiting, Air Force was sort of ahead of, of both Army and Navy for a while. And that's why you saw a lot of Air Force talent go to the NFL. This is the first time Army's done something that's been like Army's leading the way on this. I mean, probably in any of our lifetimes, like when it comes to service academy stuff. So let alone college football. But um, so, so I, I, I really like this point there. Uh, and then when it comes to downfield passing threats, uh, one thing you're going to see if Drew Thatcher runs his system as Drew Thatcher's system and doesn't adapt it a lot to Army, one thing he's really, really big on is he makes pass play action passing plays look identical 
identical to option plays until like the second they pass. Love it. When you, when you run the flex bone, the second your quarterback takes a half a step back, everyone in the stadium knows that it's a pass, right? And we still end up with guys that are five yards open, 35 yards downfield, right? This guy, he's, you're not going to get your, your 35-plus yard passes as often, but you're going to get open passes a lot more often in that 10 to 25-yard range because, man, some of that stuff, like you, it looks like a run. It looks like a run. Okay, now this guy who's been crack back blocking for the last five plays puts his hands up and slips. Okay, now one guy who can't do anything about it knows that it's a pass. And then the quarterback is still running like it's a like it's an option, you know, pitch, like it's a, a, a power, it's a power to the right, and and then and then he'll take like half a step back and throw immediately to a guy who's got five yards of space, three hundred and sixty degrees. Um, so you're going to see passing. I think you're going to see more passing uh, for less yards per pass, but a higher completion percentage. Um, and and it's very sophisticated how he does it. All right. Sorry, guys. I got to wrap up. Thank you so much. Excited for 2023. Uh, thank you so much um, for the conversation. Uh, I enjoyed it. And everyone, have a great night and beat Navy. Beat him. Thanks, Connor. Beat him. Yeah, so um, I have a question for you, James. Uh, if you guys will just continue this for a few more minutes. Um, sure. About the truth at your offense. Personally, I haven't watched too much on it, to be honest with you. Um, what do you think happens to, like, Jacoby Buchanan and Tyson Riley now? Well, I think Jacoby Buchanan is graduating, um, so I don't think there's a there's an issue there. But if you're, if you're talking about you know those types of players, um, I think you keep them for certain situations. Like I think there's still a use for guys that um, that are are big boulders that can run through the line. Um, the The problem is, and you and and you can throw them in every once in a while and kind of use them as a as your dive running back but you're kind of giving something away. Um, you know, the, the issue is that like you watch truth Thatcher's offense. I probably watched, I don't know, 45 of his plays and his videos. I saw maybe two cut blocks, right? Like maybe two. So the ability to run a 250 plus pound guy through a line of scrimmage when there's zero cut blocking, um, is a little bit harder. Uh, so I don't think you're going to see as much of the 260-plus pound guys. Um, maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe Drew Thasher hasn't had those kinds of guys in the past because he's coaching at a D2 school, and now he has them, and he has a, he has a method to implement them, um, which, which we haven't seen yet. So, so maybe that's there, but I don't you know. I don't, know. Um, I don't see them having as big of a role. It's going to be interesting because you say there's going to be a little bit more passing, right, in this offense. And, you know, I think that's where Army's going to have to maybe – I think we might see some position changes because right now, you know, you look at the wide receiving core, it's Isaiah Austin coming back, right? And then who's be, who's really behind Isaiah Austin? Um, you got some younger players, um, you know, like a Casey Reynolds type, and you got a Liam Fortner who's a freshman, but – I mean, some guys are going to have to step up then at wide receiver in spring, and it'll be interesting to watch who those guys are. I mean, I don't think Ijon Marshall will probably still play like a slot back role, right? Um, right. Uh, Tyrell Robinson, when he gets back from a from a knee injury, will play a slot back role. But who's going to be who's going to step up? And now, question real quick on that: um, 
You think what do you think Josh Lingenfelt or they'll use the tight end too uh, in in this offense or you know he what doesn't do use he uses the tight end position quite a bit. Um he uses it more as a skill player. Um and less so of a tight end, not that tight ends aren't skilled players or anything, but um, it, it's more of a running back role, and that's where they position them. I think he'll still have a use for tight ends. Um, but I would say I'd say this. I think that if you look at our stat line in the end of next year, providing he runs you know, his system, that two of your top um, five receivers will also be two of your top five rushers, not including QB1. Right. So the guys that are receiving a lot of these passes are slot backs that are going to do, uh, you know, an arc block and break off at the last second and find themselves in five yards of space, 20 yards downfield. Um, and those are the guys that are going to, you know, going to be getting a lot of reception. So it's not so much of a we need wide receiver. Um, we need wide mm-hmm. receivers, skilled wide receivers. It's that we need to train our running backs who are legs guys to be hands guys. Um, and I think our quarterbacks and our, and our slot backs are going to have to do a lot of extra, um, a lot of extra training, which I think is good to, um, to become a a pitch and catch threat, uh, which is what they would be in in that system. Yeah. I think uh, you have eyes on Marshall certainly capable of it, right? I mean, he's, so mm-hmm. he could be a pretty good receiver. See, see, Miles Stewart can uh, make that transition too. He's a guy who they're pretty high on. It's I mean, Robinson a- too, right? Robinson should be back and healthy. Yeah, and and we know that he's a receiving threat as is. Yeah, give him five yards There's of weapons. space. Like, I mean, it's not a hard transition. Yeah, I mean, Ligonfelter on the season had three catches for 105 yards. So, you know, I I think he'll be okay in in the new offense. I like to see him used more. To be honest with you, I like to see Ijon Marshall used more. I, I said that all during the 2022 season that you know they know we're gonna they know what you're gonna do running the football. You need to open it up a little bit, and I think that this new offense might open it up just a bit, just enough, you know, just enough for Army to have some success. Um, been great um, talking uh, 2022 recap and also looking ahead to the 2023 season. James, great perspective on the new offense from. from uh, Drew Thatcher, and now we got we got uh, Matt uh, Drinkall as the co-offensive coordinator, and we got Mike Vitti as the associate head coach. Those were promotions, and we got Cody Worley as the run game coordinator. You know what? Just a just a, a quick point there. It's a pretty young core group there, right? I mean, the guys have ha- they have experience, but it's a little bit of a younger, um, maybe a group of coaches there. I don't know if that means um, different innovations or whatever, maybe. We'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun. And you know what's going to be – I thought about this today is that coming into the game, coming into the opener, Louisiana Monroe, they're not going to really know what to expect from Army, right? They're really – yeah, they could watch through Thatcher videos and, yeah, they could see what they might do. But Army's going to have a, a leg up at least in that opener. And then, you know, defense um, – opponents for – in the spring, 2023 opponents can't practice a week for Army's – um, triple option offense, right? They can't spend some time in the spring um, trying to um, work against the triple option because they don't really know what's going to happen, uh, what they're going to bring out in um, in the opener against Louisa Monroe. I think that's an advantage for Army, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely. I, 
two things. I would love to be a fly on the wall uh, of, you know, offensive coaching meetings throughout this offseason. And I would hate to be ULM's defensive coordinator this offseason. Um, not, not only do you not know how to attack it, like you don't know what offense they're going to come out in. Like you have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, we're all assuming that it's going to look like previous Drew Thatcher offenses. We could be totally wrong. And so could ULM's defensive coordinator. So um, good luck to that guy. Um, another another matchup that I think will be quite interesting uh, will be the LSU matchup. Yeah, LSU. Who are the, Brendan? You have any idea who they're playing the week before? Uh, who LSU is playing the week before? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a con. I'm pretty sure it's a conference game. I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah I'm bringing it up too. That's that'll be super interesting to me. Uh, yeah, they're playing Auburn in Tigers at home, but they're playing Auburn the week before. So you're playing a guy, you know, with you're playing Hugh Freeze, right? He's going to Auburn. Is that right? He's going to Auburn. Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to Auburn. So you're playing Hugh Freeze the week before. Uh, yes, he's going to Auburn. Uh, good luck with that. Um, and then you're, you know, as Brian Kelly, you're used to, you know, academy offenses for sure as a prior Notre Dame head coach, but yeah. you're used to the flex bone. Now you're, you, you know, you got to prep for something. You know, I, I was kind of afraid to, when he went to LSU to be playing LSU with a head coach who was prior, you know, prior Notre Dame coach knows the flex bone at least somewhat. Now it's a completely different matchup. So LSU just got turned on its head. That's a, that now went from a game I'm a little scared of to a, Hey, you know, anything can happen. Um, so, so that that'll be a cool matchup as well, I think. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. really fun to watch. I don't know if they're gonna let us um watch spring practice at all. I don't know if spring practices are gonna be closed. I imagine they probably would be closed. This if spring. I were Jeff Munkin, I would not allow a single person who wasn't a team member into any practice before the first game this year. Yeah, no, no spring game open to the public. <laughs> no. Or they'll run plays that are totally different than what they're going to run um, come against Louisiana Monroe. Maybe they'll run, you know, scout team plays. Who knows? Um, they could do that too. Um, yeah, they're going to have scrimmages in the spring, but I can't imagine we'll see too much of this offense. Um, defense, um, we talked about real quick, the defense coming back. There's uh, Yeah, you're going to lose guys like uh, Marquel Broughton, and then you're going to lose guys like uh, Andre Carter, um, Quabina Bonzu, uh, players that have definitely made an impact in the last few years for Army. Um but we'll see. And Nate Woody did a pretty good job toward the end of the season, turned this defense into what um, trying to do the math. I thought they gave up like maybe 60 points in the last five games or something, something to that effect. Uh, maybe I'm a little off on that due to the overtime with Navy, but they really came on toward later in the season. I thought that Troy game really showed a lot. Like we talked about and let's see who um, let's see who steps up on defense and um, man, they still got a lot of defensive linemen to rotate in and, you know, got to replace Broughton, which will be maybe Max, uh, D Domenico, maybe he's the he's a guy that can can do that. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know what you guys think about the defense uh, for twenty twenty three. Yeah, I'm excited. We're gonna have a lot. Of, I mean, we're losing Broughton, but we have a lot of returning talent um, that we didn't think we were gonna have. So I'm really excited about that. We certainly have less turnover than last year, which is great. Um, those those first five opponents that we have, but both for the defense and for the offense, right? So we have ULM, then we have a FBS. Delaware State, and we have UTSA on the road. 
and then Syracuse on the road, then Boston College. I think the first five last year, or yeah, in 2022 and 2023 is going to be very similar. Look, we go three and two, we're going to have a good year. We go two and three, we'll have about this year or maybe a little bit better. We go four and one, like all bets are off. Good point. Yeah, I'll I'll say over, overall I'm I'm a lot less stressed uh, about next year's schedule than I was uh, probably like uh, when wow. they when they first announced it. In no small part because uh, you know Coastal isn't going to have uh, Grayson McCall or Coach Chadwell on the sideline anymore. Uh, it's like a whole regime regime change for them, and. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I can't imagine Troy will be as good next year. I mean, maybe UTSA, maybe UTSA could keep it going because they're going to have, you know, a, a 29-year-old Frank Harris out there for his uh, seventh season. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think I think I said it uh, the last time we were we were doing this together, Sal, you know, like six, like six games this season was a bit of a disappointment bit of a disappointment six wins next season would be you know it would, it would definitely be uh more feel like more of an uh, an accomplishment although uh i i do think i do think they'll probably get uh get back to a bowl game next year i do think they have that in them well uh, i forget who i was talking to about it we were talking on uh on twitter um you know it's it's a pretty true four four and four schedule right the four games that you should win in my opinion, are Delaware State, uh, who's the uh, uh, no, Holy Cross, UMass, and ULM. Right? Those are, those are the ULM. It's on the road, but still, you should beat ULM. Those are the four games I think you should win. The games that are sort of going to be tough are LSU, Syracuse. In my opinion, uh, after that, it's uh, Coastal and then Troy. And Coastal got a little bit easier at the end of the year there with, with Grace McCall and Hugh Freeze leaving. But uh, Coastal and Troy, two teams that uh, – and, and then maybe you throw uh, – maybe you put UTSA in over Coastal now with, uh, with the personnel. And then the four middle games, I guess, if not – you know, if, if, it, if it's UTSA, not Coastal in the top four, then Coastal, Air Force, Navy – and uh, who am I missing? Uh, oh, Boston College. Boston College, yeah. Boston right? College, yeah. Boston so, College, so, yeah. so four games you really should win, four games that are going to be tough, and four games that I would say are, are kind of a toss-up. I mean, Boston College was not good this year, but they're an ACC school with an ACC budget in the NIL era. So they could go 9-3 and three next year, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Um, yeah. so, so who knows? But, but it's a really good schedule. I think we do go bowling. I think Brennan's right. I think this team could surprise a few people with the new offense, um, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow up. Can't, um, they still have? I think they still have at least one opening on their offensive staff that they haven't announced yet. So we'll we'll follow that and see who they. Um, I don't know if it's going to be an offensive line coach. We'll see if they um, move around the duties of the current staff. We'll see what happens. I I think Jeff Munkin hopefully will be available um, next week to talk to the media about um, the change in the uh, philosophy in the offense, maybe a little bit. Hopefully we get to talk to coach on that. Um, really appreciate you guys hanging out with us tonight, uh, breaking down the 2022 season and looking ahead to 2023. Thanks a lot to James uh, of Ask for football. We had uh, Connor Crean at uh, also of Barstool sports and Brendan and Jersey's become a regular here. 
uh, great opinions, great history too. Uh, thanks a lot. Check us out on our uh, YouTube channel. We're up to like 600 plus subscribers. Uh, subscribe. We're going to have a, a more guests on. Uh, last week we had Sandra McCoy. It was a really good podcast. If you, it's a, a more of a recent grad that that through the program. Good insight by Sandin. Check that out. Um, check out our Black Knight Nation website also. And check us out on uh, Twitter and um, Instagram. We appreciate you guys tonight. Thanks a lot. And we'll be back soon. Thanks, James. Thanks, Brandon. Have a good night. Thanks, hey, Sal. Thanks, thanks, Sal, for having us. If you're not following Sal, you're missing out.